This is Valingo, and you're listening to The Paradise Arcade. The Paradise Arcade may contain explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Paradise Arcade with Eric and Kyle. Welcome to another episode of the Paradise Arcade. This week's episode is the year-end episode. It's going to be the final episode of 2022. And I thought that we'd bring on someone very special to us. Not only because we're also native to the same area, but we do similar things. So this week we've got Aaron Veiling, a.k.a. Valingo. Welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. I'm embarrassed that I'm special, but I'll deal with it. That's the, <laughs> Minis- that's the Minnesotan in me. I yeah, think. yeah, <laughs> exactly. I thought you, you know, ten years away by now, you'd you'd get some sort of like ego or bravado, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a little bit of that. That you know, sure, but you know, the accent doesn't go away. the The humility doesn't go away. Add to that, I was a uh, you know to Catholic school. Um, you know, there's a lot of you're not special going through the head but um i'll deal with it you then you're perfect you fit right right into the show <laughs> that's that's great awesome. this is gonna yeah. be a really weird conversation because we're all gonna defer to each other and like oh no i'm not i don't have any it'll you know what it'll be like for the, the, if listeners have never been at a four-way stop sign situation intersection <laughs> in minnesota it's like no you go no you go no you go and then and you then start to go dies. and they go no. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what i'm ex- especially excited for the minnesota goodbye oh god <laughs> you know you could have an entire podcast episode that's just the minnesota goodbye because it takes like an hour and a half it does it does it's plenty of content <laughs> yeah, that, right? yeah it gets it gets interesting i wanted to highlight one thing though you celebrated your eight-year anniversary this year yeah congratulations Thank you. That's that a is, long time. It's a long time. <laughs> well, to be in our world. This. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it, it's funny because it's, you know, some stuff has changed over the years, uh, whether it's my interest level or the, um, you know, sort of the, the scenes that I've covered have been changing or the pandemic has sort of altered things a little bit. Um, but it's like, you know, it's 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 I hope to be doing it for eight more years or at least two more years to get a nice 10, 10 year number in there. So with the, a 10 year anniversary, would there be another compilation? Oh yeah. Uh, nice. I, I was supposed to actually have one this year. Uh, it was going to be not tied to any anniversary, but it would just have, you know, some artists on it. There was supposed to be like a Sally Shapiro song that actually ended up on something that they released with Italians do it better. Um, and then I had a few other people lined up. And so I might, we might kind of reconvene for a 10 year. Uh, I would definitely do a comp uh, again, and I would definitely do vinyl. I didn't do vinyl initially because it was such a huge undertaking, uh, undertaking and spend. But then, looking, especially because I'm like a crazy perfectionist, and there were 17 songs, and it's like, okay, this would have to be, you know, just this giant, massive, expensive double vinyl situation, and I just it was too much. So I was like, initially just did digital, and then eventually did tape and CD, and. That was fine. Everybody was more or less happy with that. So, and you did for the CD and the t- 
tape, you did different song configurations, didn't you? Yeah. So essentially I saw it as basically like the, a soundtrack to a film not yet made and each in order of like the songs on in the movie. And so basically each format has a different, uh, different track listing, like you said, sequence, and it's supposed to be kind of a different take on the film. And also to give somebody kind of, if somebody had downloaded the digital in 2019, and they all of a sudden the tape is out there, a CD, it feels a little bit like, I don't know, I felt a little bit bad being like, all right, well, you're gonna have to buy it again with the same track listing. So I was like, let's mix it up a bit. So one, you know, the digital starts with Metavari's kind of very intense, dark uh, number. Uh, the CD starts with Anorex, Panaria, which is like his first foray into the more new disco sound he has now. And then the tape, I can't remember what I started with. I think it was Lamatos, the, the the song from the Ninja Eliminator trilogy. So it's like a different adventure each time. Yeah, respect. I like that. That's uh, that kind <laughs> of like um, attention to detail, as it were, for the user experience. And just to get across the conceptual idea of it is a it makes it special. It makes it like, oh, I want this thing because it's unique and interesting and someone put thought and energy into it so i always have respect for people that like really put that uh extra time and care into something i appreciate that i mean i wanted to to transfer kind of the level of quality from that i had from the site from the journalism and stuff um into the the comp so it's like okay so if somebody goes to Vilingo, what can they expect a certain level of quality with writing whether it's from me or someone else uh who you know, a freelancer um, or a guest poster. Um, there's going to be, you know, a, a level of quality with the, my podcast, although it's not, <laughs> that's a little bit more DIY because I'm just kind of a hot mess with tech. And then with the, with the, with the, with the comp release, it was all like, okay, I want to have the best cover. So I had other people do the cover. I had um, my friend, Andrew, um, who is in diamond field. I had him do the layout and also can contribute a song with dana jean and you know and then i think who else i had some help with sequencing and you know there's a lot of i wanted to make it a team effort uh because i was also kind of at a point at the five years where i was like a concerned at how much people associated valingo with just me such that my my this my pseudonym was valingo where it's really right. like no no i just want almost one part of the machine here yeah it's really cool um I'm thinking about doing putting together a five-year compilation for us. When is TV. your five-year? Yeah, when when, when is our five-year? Uh, well, we just that's not anytime so, soon, is it? No, but you got to work on that. If you're going to put out, you know, mm -hmm. gather the songs, you got to start working on that shit in advance. Like a year. It took a year to get. Uh, yeah. For for my comp, it was at least a year. We uh, we just celebrated involved, three but... years of the Paradise Arcade. Oh well, happy birthday! Thank you. I don't remember celebrating. <laughs> uh, well, we were on the show with Jules and Dennis. That's how we celebrated. Okay. We were being interviewed by other people. That's that's nice. I like that. Yeah, see? There you go. Yeah, uh, it's, it's weird. It's weird as hell. I mean, my entire career has been interviewing other people. So whenever I'm interviewed, I'm always like, uh, like you know, I have a lot of ums and likes. And I'm like, I don't know. and uh, Because it's just, it's, it's a totally different experience. as you, I'm sure you probably felt The great thing is, this is not an interview. This is a conversation. Right. Ah, there we go. Now that you've reworded it, it's I have a new mental association <laughs> with it, and everything's fine. 
it's, it's kind of funny that how we were being interviewed, but yet you kind of turned the tables and did a little bit of your own interviewing, Eric. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's just what I do. I'm naturally a curious person. And yeah. And so I want to know other people's opinions on things and insights. And when you have two other known synthwave people and they live and breathe it more than the three of us. Oh, yeah. So I, I wanted to well. know their insights into some the question. I, I forget what the fuck we even talked about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember living and breathing it uh, more so in the past, the, the genre. Um, yeah, it's 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 actually it was it was fun for a time to do that. And I'm glad that other people are doing it. Yeah, to keep that passion alive. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, you know, it's. I, I feel like with the the genre, the retro-ish genre, there's so many. You could stick within that and always never be bored because there's always some thing that's happening, new exciting thing. You know, this year has been a journey of of future funk and vaporwave and you know Italian disco and chill wave and data wave and all these other you know, variations. And it's interesting to discover sort of these other worlds um, outside of synthwave that are living and breathing and vibrance and have their own cultures. Like I didn't really realize like vaporwave was a very distinct, passionate group separate from synthwave folk. Oh yeah. And they might, there are people who are adamant that they are not the same at all. And from the vaporwave side and George Clinton, who runs 100% electronica, has the that vaporwave festival in yeah. Brooklyn and it is fucking massive. And this yeah. year they even had washed out and stuff come. Uh, and St. hotel Pepsi, pools, hotel pools. Uh, they have just it, it's it's the it's the biggest, most professional uh, vaporwave festival. I don't I couldn't tell you if he made money off of it. I don't know how many of these festivals actually make money, but everybody loved it. It's an amazing experience for people who attend. And I know Patrick Fakeman, uh, another. Um, podcaster journalist type uh, attended and really enjoyed it so that was i don't know it's cool i think i do what i do think though that synthwave is in a groundhog day scenario in some way where it's this it's every day is the same but then you kind of try to make it different so you get out of that day <laughs> <laughs> and there's also something that's kind of like the psychology of synthwave i think someone smarter than me should write something about this um you have sort of this there's a, a certain thing where you have egos kind of battling it out whether it's you know artist on artist or publication on publication or something like that not us obviously but right um you know there's this sort of like there's a diminishing there's not a diminishing audience but the audience is becoming more uh i want to say more complex and nuanced and the the type of retro is changing you know like we hear with mecca Maiko's not okay is much more 90s uh, and I know that um, you know you 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 will be hearing more '90s stuff. Oh yeah, that's the artists. new that's the new wave. That's that is the yeah. new synth wave. Because you can't do '80s retro forever. We've been doing '80s retro since the late '90s. I mean, right? <laughs> like, you know, how long can that go on? But I think there's that, and then the audiences are sort of you know there's there's kind of that um, you know they're 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 hungry for more, but then also. There's some who just have no idea that synthwave existed before 2016, and so there's all of these different kind of weird spinning plates going on. That uh, I'm very curious to see how it all shakes out. But I think, yeah, I think it's the the new wave of synthwave will be definitely more 90s. I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, like oh, that yeah. Early 90s house pop 
get some more 909s in there, motherfuckers. Come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you know, the, the Alex and Tokyo Rose Akuma 3 is all 90s inspired. And oh, a, yeah. a lot of people got real upset with it because they're like, they were calling it EDM. And I was like, nah, I'm, that's, uh, it's not EDM. They're, but they're using like trance and techno and you know, they're inspired by a lot of the early 90s um, electronic sounds. And sure. it's very different. And I love it. I'm yeah. like, wow, this is, it's different. And I want I mean, that. Yeah. More power to him. I mean, there's uh, Johan Agavorn of uh, Sally Shapiro. He has like a side project where he does 90s trance inspired type songs and stuff like that. I've had a few of premiered a few of them, but um, it's it's people think of trance and then they think of like 2010 trance. And it's this isn't, you know, douchey DJs with arms in the air. This is like <laughs> this is like, the, you know, <laughs> like, you know, amazing raves in in the UK in 1991. That's what right. this is. You know, and uh, uh, who would be like a big trance artist from that time? Would well, be... like the Prodigy '91. Yeah, yeah. Know, that was right before their transition into big beat. That yeah. what their now classic sound is. But that first record, the Prodigy Experience, that was very much a a trance kind of vibed record. And you know, if you listen to it, it's very different from obviously their more harder edge stuff now. Right. Right. So that, I'm excited for that. And I think, um, and you know, if, if an artist like, let's say Ollie Ryan or Michael Oakley, who does, you know, impeccable pop songs, like these folks know how to write a song. It's not <laughs> like your typical sort of, you know, uh, four bar repeat synthwave stuff. I mean, they've always had, they've brought like songwriting to the table. And I, I think they could easily transition into a late eighties, early nineties, um, kind of sound like, I don't know, like rock set or something, or, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that kind of go West. Imagine <laughs> yes. like, imagine like I could see Oakley doing King of wishful thinking type songs or Ollie really going up there with the octaves. So, you know, it's not dead. And I'm sure someone's going to take away from this, that the lingo hates all synth wave. And like, apparently everybody thinks that anyway now, but like, it's not, <laughs> it's, not <laughs> it's like not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying like, you know, I, I guess that sometimes, you know, I feel like no one is saying, hey, maybe we should do something different. And so then I'll say that. And it's like, that's what I'm saying now. It's like, hey, let's check out that era. And it's kind of weird because there are times when I, that I'm saying this because there are times when I toyed with the idea of having Valingo only cover classic synthwave because the genre is so old now. It's like 15 years old or more, really. So I was like, oh, maybe I should just cover classic synthwave, like mid aughts to 2012, you know, like that some of us consider the golden era or something, but I, yeah. so I'm probably being very paradoxical and confusing to people, but basically I think that, um, you know, like I think that there is ultimately the takeaway I think should be that there's, there's an opportunity to, you don't lose yourself, but you can mix it up a bit, try something new. I just feel like I, I worry that if somebody keeps doing the same eighties retro or if everybody keeps doing the same eighties retro, it's like, it's just not going to be as rewarding. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, part of it is when you deal with the music that it's foundationally um, nostalgic, you're going to get strong feelings. And right. nostalgia means some very specific things to folks. And it's different well, for everybody. Right. Different and, for everybody when they were born. Yeah. Like if you think about, you know, Miami Nights, college, all of these folks who are doing stuff earlier on they are you know they're like my age of 40 and above so their 80s the 80s was 80s and early 90s were their like 
their their reference points for nostalgia. And there are others who are born far later in the 90s or something, and their reference points are going to be different. And, you know, like I think there were people born earlier, you have people who are more into sort of, you know, the cosmiche or more elaborate kind of tangerine dream sounds. That's their nostalgia or whatever. Yeah. And I think so. You're right. There's like there's it's very personal. Talking about psychology of some point, I think that. You know, people, it, it becomes so much a part of them that it, it, it's almost like you're challenging them. Yeah, exactly. It becomes very personal. And I think it's a small but extremely vocal group of folks. Um, and so the echo chamber is real loud. And yeah. it can, one opinion can resonate pretty loudly. And, you know, and as you're saying, I came to the realization when we were talking to someone who was born in 1996. And their their viewpoint of nostalgia was totally different, and that that's what I realized. Like no one, yeah. no one group of people or person owns nostalgia and what that means no. to them. And we're going to see an evolution because all the people that are our age who are going to make music, like that's coming to an like we're going to come to an end, and that's going to be people that are just born in the '90s and then 2000s, and so that's well, going to yeah. evolve. Well, it's like that group at Ultraflex, who I've promoted a bunch. This these two women who are probably twenty two, if that, like from Scandinavian countries, and they are incorporating late nineties R and B and early aughts type pop, and then they toss in a little bit of eighties funk and some, you know, Enigma era nostalgia, like you know, the eighties, early nineties, and it's all this different synthesis of genres. But like, I just struck me, it's like, oh yeah, there's like a nineties. R&B vibe I wouldn't have necessarily associated with nostalgia even though I was in high school when you know Destiny's Child was first releasing stuff I that's not really my reference point I mean exactly. quite frankly I was listening to 80s synth pop in, in high school anyway but um I think that you know you, you also uh you have outside of this more and more rock genres but you have people like uh that Olivia Rodrigo or um oh gosh uh now I'm not going to remember the other name, but you, you hear straight up like early aughts rock in there and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, and then some people are kind of tapping into a more, you know, mid nineties grunge and, and which is like kind of fun. I don't know. It's like, let's mix it up. Or, you know, I really hope people get into some of the more nineties quote unquote electronica, a term I hate, but you know, like uh, that Nelly Hooper type sound, you know, the, they did uh nelly hooper he remixed sneaker pimps six underground like the saint soundtrack you know getting that kind of that certain era of electronic with a little bit of um uh i don't know i'm I'm not not trying to tell people how to do their how to create but like there's that's a wish list like i want to see some of these untouched elements kind of bleed into this and my hope is on these 1996 folks uh who are coming in and kind of looking at it through that lens Absolutely. I think, you know, like the hacker soundtrack is another benchmark for nostalgia for 90s electronic music. Right. So, yes, that's that's the thing that got me into electronic music. When I saw that movie and I listened to that soundtrack, I'm like, this is it. This is mine. This is where I'm going to go with my life. It was so good. And um, I liked the train spotting one, but that one was actually the one that got me into 80s, like northern English music, you know, like 80s. Uh, post-punk and stuff mm-hmm. um, a little bit actually yeah that one and another one but I, I sometimes i forget about the hacker soundtrack what would be an example of an artist from that well the prodigy Hackers. orbital oh, yeah. um 
God, it's like pretty much anyone that is worth anything at that time was on it. Is that does that have Halcyon on it? It uh, does. Halcyon. Yeah, Halcyon on and on. Yep. Yeah. Oh my God. So I still listen to that one on repeat. Um, it had also, you know, what else is weird about it? So it had Left Field with Johnny Lydon on it. Do you remember? Um, I just pulled it up right now, so I'm not. This isn't coming from my memory. I'm not that good. <laughs> I'm like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh shit, Carl Cox. That's kind of old school. And then there's like the Prodigy, Stereo MCs, Underworld, Left Field. Yeah, I mean, like this is, yeah, this is good stuff. Um, yeah, it's like, it's so, you know, that's a thing that's influential on but people. But dudes, you know, like even Mortal Kombat back then, that yes. soundtrack had good shit. Like Gravity Kills and some other stuff was on there too. Actually, some of, what else, wasn't it like, oh God, I'm trying to remember who else was on that one the immortals <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> there was a, i had i had basically so you want to talk about soundtrack I, like it's very natural that Volingo started doing more soundtrack stuff because all of the first a lot of the first albums i ever owned either on cassette or cd or whatever were soundtracks yep and throughout high school even when i was buying every single note that billy corgan was putting out i was also getting all of these sound just ton of soundtracks i mentioned the saint before but um, I had I had Mortal Kombat and I had Hackers. I had all of these. I just you know it's because back then you know you didn't have you couldn't just go on Spotify and find uh, you know a playlist that would have a collection of songs or a sample of it. You had to buy a soundtrack. Yeah, that was it. it. That was a... your way to get the the variety exposure to new artists. Yeah, exactly. Like I so I worked at uh, a place called Best Buy, which some of your listeners will know. <laughs> you will know it being in this one. And I worked at one, a small one by South Mill Mall that didn't have much but CDs, video games, and car stereos. And I worked in the CD section. And so, you know, most of the money I earned went to buying CDs. Uh, but um, they had so many soundtracks and it was really the only way that I would even have known about Orbital because it wasn't played on the radio in Minneapolis. Exactly. Don't think. Right. And no. the Internet, how would we, you know, there were news groups and stuff, uh, F, you know, FTP news groups or whatever. But you couldn't you know, like to download songs. You have an like a, a low quality digital download that would take 40 years. Like it just wasn't possible. So this is your way to get that that entry point into this this kind of music absolutely and you know soundtracks were put together with such care at that time like they really considered you know how does the music affect the the movie and what right. does it say about it and great exposure to you know again like the same thing i would have never heard of orbital if it wasn't for mortal Kombat and hackers right. and and you know with john hughes in the 80s it was a similar thing like the the soundtracks either the, the, the music that was included in the films or the albums themselves, they were put through the same quality control ringer that the films were. I mean, it was just... Do you impeccable. remember when soundtracks were like literally the most important thing? Like they were the thing you talked about? Like I remember when um, the third Batman movie soundtrack came out because it had Bone Thugs and Harmony and Seals Kiss from a Rose. Oh, and you too. And you, like that was like a huge, like that was a thing. Like you used to be able to use a soundtrack to sell movie tickets yeah well yeah you'd be like okay you want to go see this movie uh it has the seal song in it it has you two in it or anyone else did it? now you got me wondering <laughs> i did a podcast episode where i included uh for another network where i included uh some songs from the 90s uh, shoot i'm trying to remember 
Oh, I think Massive Attack is on there. Anyway, oh, yeah, that was yeah. that that was they were, they were intertwined, and it was obviously you know from a cynical perspective, it's a way to promote the film. Mm-hmm. But I also think it was great for artists because they got exposure they might not have previously gotten, uh, and it was you know great for us as as viewers and listeners, and you know it worked out. And I think that really that's hard to come by now, especially within the last 10 years. That's why I think the drive soundtrack was so interesting. I, you knew I was going to take this. To drive <laughs> I was waiting point. for it. Yeah. Yeah. We're just <laughs> waiting. Uh, I'm glad well, we think... got like a half an hour into the conversation before we brought it up. <laughs> uh, because like, you know, that is the film without the, the soundtrack. It's like, it, it's, it doesn't, it, you know, Cliff's score can help bring it through, but I think like people will really, you know, they need all of it. They need the whole package. They mm-hmm. need College and Electric Youth, a real hero, and, and Kavinsky and what, whatnot, in addition to the score. But anyway, I think that that's that album sold. It was like number three on iTunes in 2011, which was a big deal then. Um, and Or maybe number one? I'm trying to remember. It was at the top. Anyway, people bought that. I mean, some people own the soundtrack without ever seeing the movie. It was just an album. Yeah. And that's been really rare. I'm trying to think of how often that even is a thing now i don't know how I don't they, think they, it is i think I mean, or, I, or how popular that was even at all yeah beyond that yeah exactly it's like you know they would release soundtracks all the time the crow was a big one in the 90s and oh, yeah. i remember i had the second one that had a whole cover of fleetwood mac or something uh, but you yeah. know what's what's shifted is you have scores are actually much more popular uh, in terms of sales where, you know, the, because I think people can just put songs together in Spotify, you're not going to have so much a drive soundtrack, uh, soundtrack, meaning just the, you know, songs, right. The pop songs or whatever, mm-hmm. you're not going to just have that as much anymore. You're going to have Mondo death waltz, uh, selling or, or waxwork or somebody selling scores to films in a beautiful package. And that's kind of where we're at now. Whereas in the past, the scores were always released. Like, you know, you could buy Prince's, uh, there's another Minneapolis. <laughs> good call. <laughs> you could call out like that. <laughs> you could, you could buy that, you know, Batman soundtrack with all of his songs on it. And then separately you could buy Elfman's score, but you know, the scores did not sell as well, you know, by, by far. So, yeah, it's an interesting kind of landscape. I don't know how we got to talking about this, but I'm, I'm happy we did. Yeah, no, I, it's a I, natural th- progression. Yeah, this is just what <laughs> happens, and I love this. Um, <laughs> I think the my my hypothesis is that proper film scores have become really popular because of like in the '80s, those sounds were iconic. You couldn't separate Blade from Vangelis' score. Like they were they were equal parts to each other right and so people our age associate the visuals with the feeling and nostalgia and then the music and then you know that's obviously a big part of like synthwave and the retro leaning genres is always towards films anyways right and i think a lot of people now are like i want you know we've got a friend that that's all he collects is film scores from the 80s and 70s and 90s uh on vinyl and that's 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 his yep over 300 records scores of just strictly scores scores sounds like scores. a cool friend yeah he is he's okay <laughs> <laughs> just to translate for the listeners if when a minnesotan says somebody's okay they're saying they're amazing <laughs> See, where it's all tying together i mean 10 years later when someone asks how i'm doing i say not bad and they they just i i get a weird look 
and it's like if I accept... <laughs> I'm doing not pretty bad. okay. I mean that that means not bad. It means you're fucking doing all right. Yeah, right. I, not bad means you just won the two billion dollar Powerball. That's yeah. what that means. In like, Minnesota. and you don't want to brag. Like you're feeling good, <laughs> and you just don't want to show anyone how good you're feeling because you don't want to make them feel bad. Nor do you have the ability to feel good. <laughs> Well, there's that too. <laughs> there is that when it's 400 degrees below zero in January. Um, it is the temperature of space in Minnesota in, in January. Go to International Falls. Everybody listening, I, I encourage you on in the middle of January to go up to International Falls, Minnesota. You'll have a great time. It's not cold at all. No, no. It, it, it feels like Miami up there. It's weird. <laughs> I I really make a push for out of towners to come here in January just so they can experience what it's like. Yeah, and it's like I don't want to do it to make them absolutely miserable. I mean, they will be. I don't want to make them that, but it's just like this is a new experience that you should really. Yeah, you should have this. <laughs> you you gotta you gotta check it out just at least once. I I really yeah. love. We've had some people up from Nitro Wave shows. We last December we had Makeup and Vanity set and Baldocaster, and uh, they were in December. And so that was, and they flew in right at a snowstorm on top of it. It was an, it was a blizzard. A blizzard. Oh, not, not quite a snowstorm. It was a little more than that. A little more than that. So that was a really fun experience. Although Mavs seemed to really have a good time when he was here with us. Well, he's awesome. He yeah. can, you know, turn a bad time into a good time pretty easily. So there is that. Um, and then Baldocaster, you basically probably have hosted his only live show ever, right? That is correct. And he, and he refuses. He's still like, you know, I, I look at his Instagram stories like, when are you going to come play live? And he goes, I've had one Never. and only show and that is all I will ever do. Well, that's what he's told me. I was like talking to him about it because I was like, are you going to do Neon or, you know, whatever, right? And, um, I, you know, he was at Neon in 2018, but he didn't play, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but he's, I don't know, I feel like the, the term underrated is used all the time, usually wrong, in a wrong sense. But I think in this sense, he, he is underrated. And, you know, I'm glad he released that album of his because, you know, it's it's just bizarre. People are always, like, talking about Artist X, Artist Y. And it's like, turn your head a little bit and look toward North Carolina and you see Bulbocaster. Uh-huh. I think he lives in, I was trying to be artistic, but he might not actually live in North Carolina. But He does. Um, he does. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, he's a he's a, Ameri- a British American living in North Carolina. Um, uh, he, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've just been so intrigued by him for years, and it's just kind of funny how he's under the radar. And it's like it's kind of the perfect situation if you don't like the spotlight. You just make you just happen to be a you know it's like, like home kind of. It's like you 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 just make good albums and they just are out there. And you know it's not about putting your face on something or whatever. It's just about the music. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree. And he's, he continues to do really interesting things and, you know, he's a hardware guy and, you know, he's working on some projects obviously that are not really announced yet that are going to be really exciting when they do come out. And, you know, are you I, releasing these projects? Are you, are, are we going to break news right now? Uh, well, there's a, pro- there's a project that we will release um, but I, I, we can't really talk about it. So right. it's it's one of those things. Uh, it's a secret until until it's been announced. Then it won't be a secret. Then, then it won't be a secret. And then we could talk about it. Um, but uh, you know, he's. It's always interesting to see what he does, and I like that he's releasing EPs and full length albums, and 
you know, he's experimenting and he's doing really great stuff. Um, so I feel privileged that we get to see him live. I mean, it took me a maybe a year, year and a half to convince him to play. And then it took a bunch of other people to be like, no, we're also going to be there. So we'll just hang out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and I get it. Like I stage fright is a real thing. I always, you know, I always, I mean, lately I'll pop a beta blocker before I do a, a <laughs> show or something like that because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's performance puts yourself out there in a way that is, is different. Even if it's mostly, you know, from a software program or something, you're still up there. People are still looking at you while you're doing your thing. And, you know, and some people choose a mask and that helps, um, uh, like makeup and vanity set. Um, but like, I, I don't know. I, I wish he would do, I wish, um, Ballocaster would perform live more but anyway i also think it would be really cool to have a label where you have like Ballocaster makeup and vanity set and robert parker and wave shaper and who else like you know there's this very specific aesthetic yeah and i think that that label would be very successful within the community and within out without it like outside of it in you know the community the music scene at large you know yeah yeah, I think unfortunately Wave Shaper and Robert Parker are pretty loyal to EPR, so they got a good yeah. relationship. Yeah, I know. I'm just here to bust up the loyalty. <laughs> I mean, Tom is a great guy. We love Tom, and he's a very—I mean—he's been very kind to us. Wave Shaper, yeah. Yeah, I'm—I like—I'm very, very grateful to him and uh, the the kind things he does for us on the back end that people don't see. Um, he's a great dude and makes amazing music, obviously um yeah yeah i would love to see you know that label that you're talking about Oof, that sounds sounds like some hotness sounds like expensive yeah, too I, I have thousands of ideas <laughs> they're, they're all impossible to execute but they... <laughs> yeah. yeah i want to loop back around to drive we joked that it took us a bit to get to it but that i, I from the the things that i hear about yourself is that sort of your push into this into this world um it was what inspired me to finally start creating bilingo it took another three years to get it off the ground um sure i there is basically the situation was my brother and i my brother initially got exposed to chromatics and glass candy through uh, a guy who used to dj in minneapolis he'd have these huge nights called too much love and uh, at First Avenue, just these giant 18 plus DJ nights, like in the late aughts, early 2010s. And they were super popular. James Murphy uh, showed up. He went to one after an LCD show and, and guest DJ and stuff like that. And so my brother was exposed through this DJ called Soviet Panda. Now his DJ name is too much love. Anyway, he lives in Minneapolis. Uh, he um, introduced my brother to Glass Canyon Chromatics. And then my brother, uh, sort of started playing the records for me and so i was like i knew about that side of the drive world um and just fucking love that stuff and still do and then it really was like that one time i went to see drive like around the time it came out i had a window in the middle of the day between some stuff i was a, a local newspaper reporter who covered city council meetings at night so i basically like you know have four hours in the middle of the day before i have to do another you know, like a four hour evening meeting so i went to see the film and i heard a real hero and i was like oh wow this you know college and electric youth are amazing this kavinsky guy sounds pretty damn cool and you just go down the rabbit hole and back then the algorithms weren't as elaborate yeah. but you know i was like okay what else does college has college released and i bought it all off itunes 
What what have what does Electric Youth have out there? You know, you kind of that natural thing. Yeah. And so there, I didn't under there was really no the, the term synthwave didn't really exist then, barely existed when I started Duolingo in 2014. Um, but I just you know I like the aesthetic, the certain color and and uh, character and rhythm and melody and like you know this this and I would just get by it all. And then my car at the time, I had to like burn MP3 CDs to play <laughs> <them>. <laughs> and a 2006 Ford Focus. I'd just be on driving all over Minneapolis and St. Paul, whatever, just blasting this stuff. And that's kind of how I got into it. So drive it is cliche. It was drive uh, for, you know, a certain like area of it. And the ironic thing is I don't, in retrospect, consider college and electric youth to be simple. No, they're not. I mean, time. that's a more French no. touch soundtrack yeah, as far and- as I'm concerned. Yeah, and, and Electric Youth are very much synth pop. But at the time, it was like, you know, you, when you don't have any sort of label at all, you're just like, well, it all has a nostalgic note to me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to go down that path. And so, yeah, I mean, that was the, the primary way I got into it. And so for years, I would just be, you know, inhaling this stuff. And when I moved to New York, I, and I had Spotify by then, and I would just have these giant playlists with like, oh, I don't know, like Future Cop and FM Attack and Tesla Boy college electric youth christine just all of these people a lot of them who i'd end up you know interviewing and stuff later on but i just amassed though i had this this playlist called modern saints and synthers instead of sinners very clever <laughs> it's very good i like that yeah, not not terribly clever but it worked <laughs> um but i would just like throw them on there so it was like just throwing all in there's uh what was there, there's probably groups i'm not even thinking of just basically any any group making what we might call synthwave now uh, or between like 2009 and 2014, I would just like be loading them onto this, this playlist. And I just went down that rabbit hole. And so when I launched Valingo in 2014, November 19th, uh, the first interview was colleges save the or review was colleges save the day EP, the one with Noel Ren singing. And because like, that was really what the instigator was for Valingo more so than like oh this is going to be a synthwave blog it was more like i like a certain feel or aesthetic uh or tone and it, it all was kind of stemming from drive so it was really that framework that's a really long answer so <laughs> no, thank you everybody for perfect for no, it's it great yeah. i mean this is the space to be able to articulate in detail thoughts like I, I, okay I mean, good good i i feel like my introduction was possibly even more cliche if you want to say it oh that please, that. yes because, you know, in addition to Drive, of course, being the other one, Hotline Miami, the game was the other oh, thing. Oh, sure. So it's just like there's there's a one-two punch of, you know, two super influential things. Well, there was that, and then some people got into it through Kung Fury in 2015. Yep. Uh, which had, you know, Mitch Murder, Lost Years. It had a lot of the Rosa Corsa lineup. Uh, Highway Superstar, Mitch Murder, Lost Years. Uh, Betamax was on there. That was a Telefuture artist, but nevertheless, he was uh, on there. And yeah, so there were these like pre-Stranger Things milestones that people would kind of get. And I don't personally at this point, I think it's hilarious that we're all like, we only heard of it in 2011 or something or 2014. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Like, because that's a long fucking time ago. It is. And I remember, I remember hearing Future Cup in 2012 and thinking, gosh, I'm already too late. Wow. Yeah. Like, I felt like I'd missed the boat. And, you know, you had, like, because, you know, they were the first college songs were from 2007, you know, and Kavinsky had cuts in 2005, and Tesla Boy in, in Miami Nights were releasing in 2009. So I felt like I was so late. So I saw Vilingo as a very late era synthwave 
presence. And obviously that's not the case anymore. It feels like it's more early era now, but yeah. you know, it just goes to show relativity, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, and which is also why I, when I see people online who are like dogging on people who are, have you heard of Kung Fury? Like there's that synthwave Facebook group that has like, if somebody's not asking if you've heard of Gunship or The Midnight, they're like, I've discovered this, this cool, uh, David Hasselhoff song from Kung Fury, you know, and, and it's annoying, you know, obviously for those who are, have been listening to, to Kung Fury stuff for seven years, but I also think, well, shit, that just means the, the genre really can't die because all of this, these thousands of previous released songs are just going to be, they're just going to keep getting discovered. Yeah. That's, that's a beautiful thing about it. And what I've noticed is with this scene, as time progresses it keeps gaining traction people may fall to the side personalities you know blogs or whatever um but people keep discovering the music and that's really at the end of the day like i you know like i still kind of feel a little weird trying to explain to normal people what synthwave is um hold on (laughs) can't you be normal and like synthwave you can you absolutely can't well no you can't yeah but like no. a lot of people are like, oh, that's cute. That's it's oh, it's eighties. It's video fine. game music. Ador- <laughs> video, it's so adorable. You're into that. What's, what's a synthesizer? Yeah, and uh, you try to explain to people like you know that there's this thing and it's it's for the uninitiated, it's difficult. It's an odd conversation to have with a normie, well, so to speak. It is because you know the the for many years the top artists who were doing using synthesizers in even a remotely nostalgic way like weren't using it nostalgic to weren't using the instruments too nostalgically they might layer in like a reference to a Jan hammer arpeggio or something like that but generally it was usually like churches or something yeah where it's much more or purity what's the purity ring you know that era uh, neon indian like there was a the very different approach to you know it might sound vaguely nostalgic but it's not like straight up uh, you know, Flora Devin trying to do uh, Flora Devin. Sorry, I fucked my French up there. Uh, basically, doing a song like it's straight from 1986 or something like that. Like there wasn't that was seen as too cheesy. Yeah, and I, not so much anymore now. If you can consider like the weekend is basically just aping synthwave tropes at this point. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we and people know. Yeah, and so like you know, it's it's. I think the 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 normals um are are you know they're accepting it now just as all of us are kind of getting over it so it's, it's yeah kind of the, the nature of things right you when people finally started liking um i don't know you insert genre here hip-hop or something then it changed like people started finally liking jay-z and then it turns into soundcloud rap or something so there's like there's different genres where that happens and i think that's just normal right like mm-hmm. I, I i think when i by the time we were hearing you know the smashing pumpkins and bush on 93.7 the edge that's a name i haven't heard for a while (laughs) we were listening when you know it was already old news by then yeah you know it was you know the the people had considered that genre dead before melancholy even came out Mm -hmm. uh so you know i guess that's it's the nature of things right um and then also what's funny though is you have long tail productions on some of this stuff like the miami knights album sentimental that came out this year you know has he had been michael glover who's miami knights had been demoing it for six years like i had half of the songs on my phone and i played a couple of them on mixes in the podcasts 
and people didn't really notice because we were kind of like quiet about it but right like you know this stuff sits there so like when i saw some people were like oh he's just you know this sounds like older synthwave or something it's like well yeah first of all it's from six years ago some of this stuff and also like he, he, good like there are some artists i think like him who release an album once a decade we do want maybe some general sort of reference to the sound that brought us into the fold especially from someone who was one of the inventors of the genre it, that, i guess to me like i wasn't so hard on him for that because like he's been around so long and he's yeah. i i think like he's making music that he just wants to make and he was doing it before it was a a codified genre so to speak exactly so exactly. if you're just doing what you do and you don't give a shit about labels or whatever it is you're gonna release the music you want to make and if that's what he does then it doesn't matter that right and the fact that some of the stuff has been around like demoing for almost a decade you know <laughs> goes to prove that like you know like it still works though people are gonna listen to that record and be like oh this is amazing people aren't oh, gonna yeah, go like sure. oh yeah this is this is so 10 years ago like well <laughs> yes but you know i saw a lot of that and i think it's because in his absence there was a vacuum so you had a bunch of people creating miami night sounding stuff absolutely maybe they tossed the 1984 on their name or whatever and so you know in the absence of the pioneer yeah names for some reason yeah yeah i don't know why 83 then, 84 but, but particularly 84 yeah no i i yeah those two years 83 and 84 seem to be the most prevalent it, right it's like everybody you know is inspired by time cop or miami nights i guess in this situation um yeah i it's yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, I, I again I got lost in how I got here, but like, <laughs> basically, basically um, to kind of go back anyway. So I think the drive soundtrack definitely was an influential force in why I got involved in this sort of sphere of things. I had been building toward that over the years, but I'm pretty slow until I'm not. So I had the outline for Villingo in like 2011, but I didn't start it for three years. Like, I felt like I needed to really, it's kind of like how I took three years to start it, five years to release a comp, um, you know, several years before I started slapping the logo on events. Like, I, I just am sort of like, I, I take a long time to get going before I, then the the, the, the uh, snowball effect hits, and then I'm rolling down the hill and creating an avalanche. I like that. You're going at your speed. I appreciate that. I like to go at my speed for things, too. Yeah, exactly. We all do, right? Yeah. I feel that's especially important now, you know, as we've, especially we've done this project, like really taking your time, doing what you want to do, not being in a rush to try to get anything done, like not chasing any kind of fad or anything like right. that. It's so much more satisfying at the end of the day well, and, and look at the project look at the product that you have you have like top-notch events top-notch interviewees top-notch vinyl releases like you're creating in some ways some of the dream that i had originally you're sort of living it and it's really beautiful to see because it's like you're not trying to like oh gosh you know outland or you know i don't know insert festival or podcast or radio show or whatever name here you're not trying to like compete you're just do living doing your own thing and people are coming to it whether it's high quality artists like Tom Trues who don't always, who aren't always involved in everything um or you know it's it's the audience members who are coming to you so i think that that you should be patting yourselves on the back 
um, for following your own path. Kyle just literally patted himself I on the back. I just did it, even okay. though, like, I literally, I don't do anything. <laughs> just here. Yeah, I, it's, you know, it's a great, uh, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we didn't start out as this show. We started off as a different show. But right. um, just What was it called again? Two Poor Bastards. Oh, right. P-O-U-R, right? Beer? Yeah, it's a, it's a pun. I, I, I remember it. I think I followed it on instagram you know you should do a beer pairing with with synthwave songs episode a lot of people miss that format and i'm like i the alcoholism threshold was getting to a point where it's like right. it was no longer healthy to be drinking as much whiskey as we were doing while doing that show <laughs> or it's like there's certain beers you don't want to ever drink like surly furious sorry everybody yeah anything surly yeah no surly they at were, all Talk about a brand that's fallen. Anyway, um, <laughs> I love that it's such uh, a specific callback. <laughs> I, love I love it. I just remember I used to go home for Christmas, and so one beer that I love that we don't get in New York, you have to go to Philly for it. It's an Oregon, uh, Portland, Oregon brewery called Deschutes that you guys have in every corner. Yeah. Uh, and you know, so my parents would get that. They would get new. They would go over to Wisconsin and get New Glarus beer. Um, and you know that kind of thing and then they would have surly furious and i'm like what the fuck are you thinking like no one's gonna drink this and no one does and it just sits in my old college fridge in the basement <laughs> but you know they had those sweet designs and those limited runs and everyone needs to buy them well you know i will give them credit for being for doing some of this stuff before it became ubiquitous it's just like Maybe it goes back to when we talk about some synthwave pioneers. Like maybe it's it's that you know the, the stuff might not be as highly pr well produced or might not taste as good as stuff that came later, but they did lay a framework mm -hmm. or a groundwork. Gr they laid the foundation, we'll say. Um, so you know, there's that. Although I won't, I would never say that Miami Nights 1984 is as bad as Surly. In <laughs> fact, I love Miami Nights 1984. So, yeah. Michael, I apologize for my horrible analogy. Yeah. But, and he won't understand um, what the apology is for. But you know, but we know. We, we we know. Hey, sorry for interrupting. I hope that you're enjoying the episode so far, and that when you're done listening to it, that you'll tell us about it. You'll leave a comment. You'll like our page, you'll like the episode post, you'll share it, you repost it, you do all those things. Uh, all that kind of engagement uh, makes a big difference for you know what we do. We want to hear from you. And at the end of the day, it's as much about community engagement as it is about anything else. So all of those things, commenting, liking, sharing, following us, it all matters. We also have a Patreon where you can contribute as much or as little as you want. There is some exclusive content on there, and we will continue to update that. But know that your contribution goes back 100% into the show. I'm not going to ramble on. Kyle and I would just like to say thank you for listening, whether it's your first time or you've caught all the episodes. Thank you. So without further ado, let's get back to the episode. What's up, everybody? We're listening to Paradise Arcade. We're not calling you Molson Knights 1984. <laughs> oh, man. No, no. Um, no, actually, I would say if we're talking end of year, I would put Sentimental on, on my list, and I will.
for the Blingo post um, that I'm doing. Uh, basically, have you ever seen them? You, you can feel free if, if you've never read my website before. I don't even care. I haven't. Okay, yeah, I have. Perfect. I, I've, I've, yeah. Okay, so okay, so one of you is cool, and the other one, yeah, yeah. One only one of you is allowed to enter Minneapolis. The other one has to stay in St. Paul. I'll stay in St. Paul and I'll be oh. fine with that. <laughs> oh my god. No, actually you have to go live in um Cottage Grove. No. Did I anger your Cottage <laughs> no. Grove fans? Go to Farmington. I have to you go, to, go to Farmington. What's yeah, that? I have to go to Fridley. Oh shit. <laughs> I used to, um, I ran a journalism, online journalism program at the Columbia Heights High School, and um, it was so bizarre. The people in Columbia Heights who didn't want to send their kids to that school, they would send their kids to Fridley, and it explains everything. So like, th that's a discussion for another time. Yeah, no uh, one <laughs> tell you about it some other time. But anyway, so these end of year posts, I don't, I first couple of years of lingo, I would just do it myself. I'd be like top 10 EPs, top 10 albums, top 10 singles. And then at some point I was like, this is kind of boring. Like I'm even bored reading this. So I want to say four years ago, I started having like a group of people submitting stuff, like the top five to 10 releases. Sometimes they'd write a blurb, sometimes they wouldn't. And it would be people who are like score composers who work with M. Night Shyamalan, or it would be like Lamatos or Highway Superstar, or, you know, I'm, I'm forgetting some of the people but, you know, we would kind of do something like that where uh, Mecca Maiko, who else was, there a few others. Like, you know, you just be like, here's some fun stuff. And so uh, this year we're doing that again. I don't have as many score composers this time. It's a little more like, so Lamatos is returning, uh, Highway Superstar, uh, Rachel Reeves, who's a, 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 she writes for Volango. Yep. She's interviewed a lot of composers for Volango. And she also writes for, uh, like, she's written for, I think, Bloody Disgusting, Rue Morgue. You know, she's, she has a Stephen King podcast, so she's in that world. She's writing. Graham Resnick, who's an artist, uh, he's also a score composer, and he's a filmmaker. He did that show on Shudder called Dead Wax, and he works with Ty West a lot. So I'm excited that he has – I'm, I'm prefacing this with all of that because he has such a unique <laughs> viewpoint. So his end-of-year lists, I would just publish them on their own because they're – so batshit crazy, but also <laughs> brilliant. Like he goes all over the place. He's like, you sure I can include this genre in the, the year end list? I'm like, yes, very much so. Um, and then at Diamond Field, Andrew, Andy Diamond, uh, is who's basically Villango's creative director, uh, will be contributing his list. And he had a great album out this year, his, his debut solo album. And then Hannah, um, who you know from Night Ride, is also contributing. Yep. So. So, and, you know, that, that'll be fun to have kind of a, an interesting mix of people. And so some, there's some synth wave. I try to like keep some synth wave and then some scores, some synth pop, whatever, because that's how it's always been, you know? So I'm surprised you haven't asked Mavs. He could probably um, speak voluminously on uh, oh. his, his interests and things that caught his attention. Well, you know what you're, I'm trying to like, now I'm wondering if I have. So the other thing about me is I forget everything. So, <laughs> um, in 2020, wait, no, I didn't have him in 2020. I had Immortal Girlfriend, Lomatos, Mecca Michael, Graham Resnick, Trevor Gorekas, who did uh, Old, you know, that M. Night movie Old. And then yeah. Jay Wadley, who did I'm Thinking of Ending Things. He was, so it's a, it's a very, I get a, a wild mix together. It was 2019 was the first one. Hold on. 
Yeah, Burning Wishes Records, folks. I always hit for sorry. No, I don't see Makeup and Vanity set on here. Oh, here he is. 2019. He was a founding member. Well, I think you need to loop that back around. I mean, clearly. <laughs> oh, shit. He had a good list. He had Cliff Martinez's Too Old to Die Young, Boy Harsher. All right. Go, Matt. Yeah. Right on. Cool. All right. Okay. So, so I'll have to, yeah, we'll have to circle back as they he's say. A, he's on the, the tip of world. things. He knows what's up. Well, you know, the thing is, he's like we said, he's like an awesome guy and a genius. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm super happy that he's the house composer for Tenderfoot and that he's, they have him in movies and that Adam Wingard was able to include uh, a song from 8888 in that Godzilla movie he directed, yeah. even though he all wanted 15 Matt, seconds Matt, of it, 15 seconds of it, 15 seconds that probably yielded him a lot of listeners. Um, and, and, you know, Wingard wanted him to score it, but yep. you know, it's, it's, it's a classic case of, you know, if somebody's untested, even though Matt's not really untested, but for some, especially when there's like a genre, like a Godzilla film is a huge financial investment. So the executives are going to be freaks about it. Yep. I and think so, Matt is going to have his day because Stranger Things season four is him, essentially. Right. He's going to get that opportunity. And he's, I, I feel like, and he's alluded to some bigger projects, which I guess I'm not at liberty to say, but like there's that potential of some people you've mentioned where I think his day is going to come where he's going to get his proper score oh, yeah. on a big thing. Yeah, I, I could see him being like the next Cliff Martinez or something like that for sure. You know, just like being the, okay, we need this sound. We're going to go with this guy. But like better. Um, but, yeah, but better. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, 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 no, but I can't say if anybody's better or worse. Just apples and oranges. Um, apples and oranges. Yeah, different approach. Um, one thing that's interesting about the Rob Stranger Things, there, you know, do you remember the the sort of that huge climactic scene, uh, it with um, running up the hill, the or- orchestral part of it? I never watched anything past season two. Okay, so there's running up the hill by Kate Bush is in it, yep. and a lot, but there's a scene where it becomes it swells and you get this orchestra involved, and so it becomes a giant cinematic moment. So that was actually a, a guy named Rob Simonson who's done scores for everything. Most, one of the most recent ones was Ghostbusters Afterlife. And his assistant is this guy named Taylor Lapari, who is a synthwaver by the name of Hassett. And you've probably, if you've read the interview, I've had him on my site and stuff. He, so you have that other synthwave element that you don't even hear at first. At first, you just hear orchestrations. But it's really these these guys who do stuff like Ghostbusters and who, um, you know, the other guy is just a synthwaver. So just a synthwaver, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's I think that 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 was another note about this this last season. It's like just all out in in the synthwave world, but not always in an obvious way. And it's not always you know some people might not even know that that's a makeup of van, vanity set song that they hear. They might think it's it's part of uh, Kyle and Michael's score so yep. it's i don't know it's i i i don't i don't think i included season four on my end of year no i didn't uh because i think i've included one of theirs in the past um but i do think this was probably their strongest score since season two nice um, and it, yeah and and then you know uh 
I, I, again, I, I second what you said about Matt. I think that he's going to be, he's going to be going places and, but I do hope it's not just, you know, like another kind of stranger things or something like that. Like, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it's a, a cornucopia of genres and types of film. TV. Yeah, I, I think I think that's coming, and I think it's gonna be he's gonna be in a variety of things because once people actually know that he's capable of a, a wide range of of sounds and he's yeah. very collaborative and you know he could he could do take direction well because you know he's been on so many soundtracks, be it video games or TV right. shows or whatever, and they they're they're him, but he's able to make it work to whatever project he's working on, and right. I think someone is going to pick up on that that talent and go okay and it's gonna and whether it's adam wingard or somebody else like he's he's almost there and that's yeah. very exciting you know i was thinking about this year it's such a weird year we had albums from sally shapiro and the midnight and it's like i almost forgot that they came out this year because I don't know why there's so much stuff. I was just thinking about this. I'm, I'm changing the subject. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's um, cool. Non I, no, not sequitur, but also kind of back to your theme of, of the end of the year. Um, it, you know, did, did you guys like, listen, did you check out the Sally Shapiro record? It was the one they released with um, electric youth and some others, Tommy 86 and stuff on Italians are better. No, I haven't heard it. No, I did not. And you know, when we were talking before the show here, I was about to say something, but I was like, well, I'll save it for the show when we're on. But it's like, I, 90, maybe 95% of the music that I take in is physical media. And this year I've made it a point to try and cut back on the vinyl records Mm -hmm. and stuff that I buy because I would just buy so much stuff. I'd get a lot of it because of FOMO. And now I've got all this stuff and a lot of albums I've only listened to once. So I was thinking back on this year, and it's like, I haven't, one, I have a hard time keeping track of what came out this year because the past few years have been a blur. (laughs) You can't really really keep track of things, COVID, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I've, I've, you know, really been limiting myself. So I feel like if you're going to ask me an end of year thing, I'd be a terrible person because I'm like, what? Uh, I don't know what came out. No, you know what came out? Folks, listeners, Paradise Arcade, <laughs> Alan Brax and DJ Falcon, Step by Step. That is a fucking record. Go I, look it up. It's damn good. I Okay, I, I'll do that. Um, I, are you looking at your band cam? Yeah, I'm looking at my band cam for shit that I've bought. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so I, I straight up the step by step help. It's. Um, panda bear singing you know mm-hmm. so he's obviously in that french world it's an extension of you know being with that punk it almost sounds like yacht rock but it's got this giant sound to it it is and it's you'll listen to it once and then you'll listen to it another seven times in a row it's fantastic um, so i highly recommend that one and i also do recommend the mecca michael record if you haven't yeah, heard it absolutely it's a great record i love it um i cannot i mean but the problem is like with that um, I think you have to be of a particular kind of listener who appreciates the variety of things that she puts into a record. Um, oh yeah, for sure. It, you you have to be of a particular mind. It's so good, and but I wouldn't recommend it for everyone because it just it doesn't. 
it's not going to click for all synthwave folks. They're going to be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I, I don't think Moonrunner 83 or Moonbummer 1883 <laughs> is going to like the lyrics, but yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, uh, the uh, the thing is, like, I, you mentioned the physical media thing. I thought it was interesting because I've also cut down, and so I've switched to buying, like, still buying the digital download off of Bandcamp. Is That's become kind of my new physical media in a way. And so I was going down my list. But I don't think I've bought a lot this year either. Like, I don't know if I just have been not paying attention or if I've been focusing on, you know, a handful of artists or something. But I kind of spaced that Brother Tiger released a full-on self-titled album this year. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, uh, and also I was going to say with that too, like since I'm just getting physical media, I could say, hey, this came out this year and I like it, but this could have been a record that finally came out on vinyl that was made you know x amount of years ago so i'm already right, right. throwing things way off yep wow and I, and I think like you know for me really the list is what did you discover this year not necessarily what came out this year so i can preface it that way because again you know this year i really wanted to expand um beyond typical synth wave and and right. make myself uncomfortable a bit um and so i really haven't paid attention to you know baldocaster i think had a release he had released an ep this year at least um and you've got android automatic is probably the more more like mainstream synthwave artist proper he released an album this year and that was really good but you know i've been really getting into chill synth and data wave so again like um clyde shelton's earth earthwalker actually came out a while ago that is what's data wave i don't even know what that is data wave oh man so data wave is sort of like highly influenced by com trues and then idm okay. i think uh, so it's like apex twin meets come trues yeah i i feel it's that way crazy time signatures yeah stuff like that exactly but you know like how like come trues has really some beautiful melodies and like yeah. the synths that he uses the pads that he uses that it's like really lush right mixed with some really glitchy weird stuff but apex twin type world hmm. so like you've got clyde shelton earthwalker was released this year um and he released um obscure means three the end of this year and then you've got like demon who's been around for a long time doing this and no one really recognized didn't know or didn't really care but he's another sort of like forebearer of data wave and then you've got our artists like memorex memories who are like playing in the data wave genre and even decisive koala the new records he just released mm. has one song on there that's very data wave-esque interesting the things that i miss out when i'm looking in another direction mm-hmm. data wave i'm gonna dive into that yeah um, and there's memories, not... memories is good anyway yeah always liked yeah always so liked in artists. motion two is very data wave like that that is pretty much a pure data wave ep um and then i think he's going in a different direction even now like he's always changing stuff up um and then you've got um delimiter who's only has like four songs out um but that's very like i feel distinctly data wave and then obviously com truce just gets kind of lumped in there because he's the inspiration too he was one of the first to be considered synth wave which is interesting because you know he's very different sounding than synth wave yeah actually on do you remember that label am discs 
I don't. Years ago, it was a early, early like vaporwave label. I mean, back when you would have people who would illegally sample and and shift <laughs> yeah. sounds, you know, like a lot of these releases you can't find on Spotify and stuff. Or you know, since the detection algorithms came out, it's harder to find them. But his first EP was originally released on that years ago, and yeah, it, it was. It was I don't know. I always thought it was interesting. He was considered synthwave, but um, I don't. I think data wave sounds like a pretty decent explanation for his music. But I also, I don't know. He's also kind of his own world. He's his own thing. I think Comtrues is Comtrues. Like there's some yeah. artists that just, they do what they do and they sort of sound similar to other things. Yeah. But he's, he is who he is. And, you know, he's saying now like, oh, well, I'm Synthwave. He, you know. Well, well you do it. You kind of have to, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, there's a lot of people who don't consider the Stranger Things score to be Synthwave, but it's marketed as such because it's now become a term that's recognizable. Exactly. And, you know, like the midnight use synth wave and, but I don't, I wouldn't consider their last couple albums to be synth wave. Quite frankly, I, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah. I mean, it's more rock now and AOR and stuff. Um, so it's, it's interesting, but it's like, you know, it kind of goes to the show. Like there's, there's these constant debates about genre and I'm guilty of getting, you know, self-righteous and asshole-ish about it. When, <laughs> like, when, when I, you know, Iron Skullet would write, you know, his genre screeds that were 4,000 words, very well-written stuff that I didn't agree with generally. <laughs> but <laughs> very talented. People drove him out of the scene, which they shouldn't have. But um, Well, there's some other stuff on the back end of that that got him into trouble. Well, sure. There was that one review that was just a attack, and that didn't help. But, um, yeah, and then, of course, yeah, anyway, but there he had, like, an interesting point one time in one of them. I think it might have been what is synthwave, or there was a, the argument about what's so people using the term synth pop too much in synthwave or something. It was very, like, it was weird, and it was a little too academic and pedantic for me, but it was very well written. And that's why I wish he was still around, because, you know, we need more high-quality writing. Um, but the... The thing that the point that he made anyway uh, was that sometimes you just have a genre term because it's just easier for people to understand. Yeah. Like it's a quick, so you know, someone asks about synthwave and you're trying to explain it. If you only have one or two floors on the elevator, what do you say? Yep. Or, or it's asked about an artist. Well, that artist is synthwave, and that's always my problem with someone asking me to explain the lingo. I never know how to explain it because it's so many different facets. And so there have been times when I use the term that I don't generally like to use, but I said synthwave blog and then people understand. Yeah. And and so like I get it. We call Com Cruise Synthwave. It helps him, you know, have a, a sustainable income making music. You know, that's great. But it is kind of like from a purity standpoint, I'm all on my, you know, I'm Abe Simpson yelling at the cloud. <laughs> I would say, you know, what's interesting is like, you know, like someone like Comtrues um, or even like Perturbator or Dance of the Dead, these folks that are lumped into it, they're they're really much bigger than synthwave. Because I think if you'd like to stick within a oh, proper sure. synthwave genre, those folks aren't nearly as successful or wide reaching as like a purely synthwave type folk. I feel like the really popular synthwave artists always have a, a reach into a larger audience, be it like a video game audience or the metal oh, sure. audience or whatever it is, like a truly purely synthwave artist Miami Nights nineteen eighty four might be the most successful because he's sort of the most pure. 
and I'm curious how he stacks, not quality wise, but like you know, uh, audience wise versus someone mm-hmm. like Com Trues. I I figure like I mean Com Trues always sells out shows, and it, some of that is I, it helps that he's on Ghostly, which is just a very popular yep. label that's been around for twenty years. But I also think he if he didn't have a label, he would still be selling these places out or he'd be hired to do a DJ set on a random night in New York or, you know what I mean? Like he's, he is, is just his own cottage industry. And, you know, there's, I would say Carpenter Brutes kind of similar, but not in the same genre, obviously, but you know, there's people who are just attracted to Carpenter Brute through either the dark synth lens or the metal side of things or whatever. Um, I don't know. Does that, answer your question or no uh, i think it's it's a good uh, addition to what we're talking about uh, yeah. it's a good perspective uh, i think you know i think like with like we we've talked about this before being at the right time at the right place i think oh, yeah, like true. calm truths i think is the right time the right place he was like there at the beginning and what he was doing was so unique that no one really was doing it so because he got like a entertainment lawyer right off the bat like he was approached by neon indians lawyer and then started to work with him and gave him or helped him develop opportunities to get to where he's at whereas i think now because where we're at with the saturation of the type of music someone who's of his same talent maybe not get won't get the same opportunity I think like I think that's true to some extent. I also think that being on Ghostly is you're part of a very specific. Like some labels don't have any clear identity. Some of them have too bland of an identity. But like Ghostly has this, you know, it has all these cool artists like Caitlin Aurelia Smith, Matthew Deer, Tycho was on on it for a while, and Comtrues is part of it. And it's all like the music is just so reliably good. There's an aesthetic with the art. In mm. this case, Seth does his own art, but you know they don't. Sometimes there's a Minneapolis guy named Michael Cena or China who does a lot of the art for Ghostly, um, and you know. So I think he would have maybe been successful in a different world, like the, in the Ninja Tune side of things or mm. something. But yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting point. I think a lot of it is timing. Like, would a real hero have hit if? If, if, if it was if it was in a movie that came out five years later or if you know would and yeah it's a great question to ask and, and i think the answer is that it's timing must be at least more than half of the yeah the equation i think there. right time right place because time and place, yeah. there's a there's a time when as a culture we coalesce around certain things and the, it defines us and you're right. sometimes you're just there and and you're lucky so you look at like a lot of the artists from the drive soundtrack they've been able to have fantastic careers from that one movie because you look at like desire i was i was really curious like desires like overall success outside of the drive things and like that song that they had on drive is by far head above shoulders the most popular song they've ever had versus other releases not to say they're not successful but very clearly that is a right. part of their legacy to to perpetuate them into the larger success that they have now. Right, exactly. And chromatics, ironically, that's not a popular song of theirs as much as something like Shadow, which is from Twin Peaks: The Return. Mm. 
you know and and so it's yeah it's interesting and then you know kavinsky i still think nightfall is probably his most successful song most definitely you know like and it's funny it's like this stuff these songs we're talking about a real hero under your spell night call tick of the clock this is all stuff that came out between 2007 and 2009 mm-hmm. like you know at 2010 i guess with for kaminsky so it, it was out before drive somewhere in myspace right you know maybe some people were downloading it whatever and and then it, it, it all coalesced on drive and they're still kind of right they're all riding not riding that way but certainly you're right there's definitely that's a reference point, a key reference point for if you say this band or, you know, Kavinsky, he did Night Call. Yep. You know, Desired Under Spell. And I think like Chromatic's Tick of the Clock sounds enough like a Martinez uh, score cue that people might not necessarily get that reference right away. But if you say, yeah, you know, Shadow, Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, and and so th- that's an interesting, they, they've had a bit more of a sustainable career from that. Um, and, and, and it also helps that the, they were in Twin Peaks 17 years after Adam created the band. So exactly. Uh, speaking of a Minnesotan. <laughs> um, Aaron, is there a release for you that this year that really got you, be it actually released this year, but something that like caught your ear that you were like, okay, wow, this is, this is something special. There are, <laughs> there are quite a few. Um, I, I mentioned the step-by-step album, but I think like the one that I really want to say is Dawn to Dawn. It's this, uh, this trio from Montreal. They do this, this, it, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's sedated, but propulsive kind of dance synth pop, which is a very weird way to describe it. But, you know, there's like a, an energy and kinesis behind their songs, but it's still kind of like chill. And the, the album is called Postcards from the Sun to the Moon. Came out a few months ago, maybe even three at this point. Who knows what year is it, right? About <laughs> um, but uh, they are, so Tess Roby is the kind of the head of it. And she was on Italians Do It Better and has been releasing stuff. Or like she had her debut album or second album this year on her her own label called surrounds with a couple s's you know on either side and then she's in dawn to dawn with these two guys who were in a, a synth pop band in montreal and they they kind of got together before covid but really during the pandemic cultivated this just fantastic record that just came out a few months ago so i definitely recommend people get on that get on board that with that and um the other one i would say is that brax and falcon step by step if you're a huge french touch fan this is not to be missed. Awesome. Kyle, what about you? Is there anything that you listened to this year? Not that came out this year, but just something that like piqued your interest that you're like, Oh, this is, this is good. I like this. Uh, Cause I know that's the most you'll ever go. Right. With interest in something. It, it, was, was Demon this year or was that last year? That was, uh, we released the Demon episode this year. I think we discovered it maybe January of this year. Okay, good. <laughs> there you go that's your initiate thing. yes the, talk about like manifestation of like a, a dream with that we um heard about demon well, kyle told me about demon and kyle heard it from another friend who's like and we thought that demon might be a secret com truce project well, that's what he said he was oh. like rumor is this rumor. is a, a side project it's d-e-m-i-n oh yes 
Okay. I I had kind of thought that as well. It's not Comtrues. It's not Comtrues. I actually asked him straight out, Comtrues. I said, is this one of your monikers? He goes, he answered me in a really weird way. And I was like, I didn't know how to like take it as like a, is that a, a denial or is that like a, t- a <laughs> wink and a nod? We found out though later, it's definitely not Comtrues. Okay. Um, it's a different, it's a completely different artist. And uh, so we loved this album, Initiate. It, it's such a fantastic record. And we're like, I want this on vinyl. And then we got it. It's going to be ho- hopefully shipping out soon. So just that manifestation of like, this is a great artist. This deserves a physical release. To by the end of the year, that actually happening, like that's a big highlight for myself personally. Um, can I just say something that's fascinating? Go ahead. So I'm reading the um, little re- blurbs about this, the reviews on Bandcamp, and one person calls this, this falls under the genre Comtrues coined as mid-fi synthwave slow motion funk. This is kind of a fun way to describe it. And then someone else says it was inspired by iteration. So I've never heard this, but now I want to listen to it just based on that and your recommendation. This sounds like I missed a huge thing here. Yeah. So yeah, I felt that way too. I was like, whoa, whoa you know, where is, where has this been? Yeah. It came out in 2018. Um, so we were way behind the eight ball as far as when it came out. And uh, so, and then we put together the record, the vinyl release with Polycora who had, ooh, initially released it in sly vinyl and then we got makeup of vanity set to do a remix we got clive shelton to do remix and a few others on there so it's a really it's a special thing coming out hopefully shipping very soon um but yeah that's (laughs) so really i couldn't have answered any other (laughs) any other artist because of what's happening indeed but that wasn't my intention with the question to begin with. <laughs> oh, and they actually, you know, it was funny as they're actually saying they heard, they discovered it on your podcast on the Paradise Arcade. Ooh, <laughs> I feel like we're doing, we're doing like, like that's, that's the good stuff. Like it's cool to have cool people on, but it's even cooler when like you yeah, love like something and like, you're like very passionate. This needs to be discovered and people are like, oh yeah, I listen to the Paradise Arcade because they, they've got good taste. Like, that's the yeah, best compliment. It, I used to get those. I don't get them as much anymore, and I'm not sure how to interpret that. But I, <laughs> um, yeah, so this is awesome. And it's somebody named Warp Fan. So there you go. Warp Records kind of vibe. Interesting. Okay. Shit. Yeah. Okay. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. I'm just no, fascinated. And the by rest this. of Demon's records are, are also fantastic. He has a very yeah. particular sound that he does. And uh, unfortunately, he got discouraged and retired, essentially. <sighs> Oh man! But he's been grinding for like ten years, and to like no one paying attention. Interesting. Now they will. Now they are. I'm hoping. I'm hoping that it. Uh, you know, he gets the recognition he deserves because, you know, again, initiates a fantastic record. His other records are really great too. So. Can you guys figure out how to put out MPM stuff on vinyl? Put out the MPM soundtracks, all of the early proto synthwave stuff. I, mean, I could figure out how to physically do yeah. it. Yeah, you know, it's it's always the rights management <laughs> yeah, kind of stuff that gets sticky. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if someone's like, "Yeah, let's do it," then it's a lot easier. But are you are you you two aren't lawyers? I take it. Yeah, uh, you know, I've uh, talked to my one degree, a times. <laughs> my degree from Devry University. Uh, and yes. basket weaving doesn't cover this. <laughs> one. It's, uh, uh, I. 
started taking it at National American University when it was in the Mall of America, but I <laughs> did not complete my course. Oh, wow. Was that when it was by Hooters or whatever? <laughs> I'm not Actually, I'm not even sure where it was in there, but on I wouldn't be surprised if it was up there on yeah. that floor next yeah, to the Hooters. The fourth floor. My parents would always tell me not to go on the fourth floor growing up. That's yeah, naughty. <laughs> but the movie theater's up there. Yeah. I know. But it's got I, a I separate way to it, though. You can avoid everything else. Uh, or we, the, uh, the I used to corridor. live like our closest mall was the Mall of America, and we never went because it's awful. Uh, yeah. Well, it's awful. And when it started out in the early 90s, um, Camp Snoopy was called Camp Sniper. Oh. Uh, because if you, I don't know if you remember the Murderapolis era very well, mid yeah, early to mid 90s. Yeah. Uh, that was the year that I was involved in a bank robbery. And 94, I think it was, we were carjacked in St. Paul on Marshall and Snelling. And Lord. um, Yeah, the guy had this guy threatened to kill us if we didn't drive. The funny thing was we were surrounded by other cars, so we couldn't go anywhere. And then like every cop on the planet showed up and he just sat there in the back and he's like, and uh, the cops told us to get out. We ran out and he had this just this backpack filled with cash and he uh, was a gambling addict and stuff like that. I'm lucky he was a schmuck because otherwise, you know, he could have actually shot us. But yeah, that was that year, you know, when all this shit was happening, that era. So then, you know, the, there were tons of shootings at Camp Snoopy. I do and, remember mm-hmm. all that shit. It's, uh, gang, gang shootings, rival yeah. gangs in fucking Camp Snoopy of all places. Yeah, like Mall of America became its own like nightmare, uh, like space station. You know, like a yeah. moon base or something, like something out of you know, or like a Martian base. It was like being in Total Recall or something. And and so like my parents hated it when I went there anyway. But you know, there were certain stores that were only there, so right? To do or certain girls you liked were at the Mall of America or whatever. But the fourth floor was off limits. I was like, nope can't go there and, and we went anyway to like look around but they instilled the fear of god in me about it so i ended really, up never going to yeah. movies there really nothing up there anyways just a couple no. a handful of restaurants and not yeah. even a handful just like two or three two or three yeah and just a long corridor yeah it's where you get murdered <laughs> yeah it's where they you know it's where you get murdered it's they had a planet hollywood there for a while and i remember that too i'm dating myself here i haven't actually been to the mall of america since 2010 so i don't know but if they have anymore but yeah there was a time when it was a dangerous place if you know and, and that that makes the jingle sort of ring in a different way yeah. and just like <laughs> remember when going to a mall was an actual thing southdale that was where we would go i mean it's it's still a thing that. here i mean because southdale yeah. is still doing really well oh it's amped up and also the the one in the rosedale mall has a yeah. great movie theater so um you know, the mall wave situation, you're not going to have dead malls. If you have mall wave in Minneapolis, you're going to be inspired by the vibrant nature of things. But, yes. uh, but you know, I think mall wave at the Mall of America would be more like a destroyer grindhouse scenario <laughs> or something yes. like that. Yeah, it's very dangerous, but dance. You should get you should get him and Cobra Wipeout on this show. They're cool dudes. Uh, like they have well, we've had them both on the show. Well, shit, there you go. I didn't hear that episode. Um, cool. We've had Andrew and and <laughs> Destroyer on the show at the same time. Oh wow! Cool. Well, yeah, definitely. You're, just, you're clearly not caught up because I'm. That's my that's my that's my punishment for you for not reading my site. It's, all right, we're both going to friendly. Have, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we're all we're all going to Fridley. That's where you go in Minnesota. When you die, you go to Fridley. <laughs> that wow, that's ooh. that's probably the most depressing thing I've ever heard. I, I'm kidding. It's Maple Grove. Not <laughs> mm. I love all of these references because no one that yeah, listens no one to this episode know. is going to have any idea what no. we're talking. They'll about. be like, "What? Cisco lives in Maple Grove." <laughs> <laughs> no, I know my my friend from high school. His sister is married to cisco um what a small world yeah i would see the you know maple grove photos in my um timeline (laughs) Uh, i think master p also lives in minnesota now really yeah i don't know if he still does or not anymore but one of his kids was going to school here yeah you know the thing about i i never was was into his music i i listened to a lot of hip-hop in the 90s and his stuff but he had an aesthetic like every cover uh, uh, I you I would know it was his label when I was like working in high school at Best Buy. Oh yeah, so it's like so that's an interesting sort of brand recognition, and it's like you just know that's a Master P release, and yep. it's kind of like you know that I do like in a label um, having that kind of unassailable consistency, which um, kind of like to to bring it back to references people might understand the Midnight Mannequin label that Adam Black runs is like. Um, kind of like that for me it's like you look at the cover and you just know that that's his release yep and you know he's doing it at a very limited scale because he has like just like an eagle eye for perfection but also it's not a full-time job but like eventually he's going to amass a slate where you're just going to go yep that's a midnight mannequin yep yeah he has a very particular aesthetic he has a very particular way of laying out physical media a particular set of skills yeah he's yes but uh, in conversations with him he's like it has to be everything has to be perfect he's a perfectionist wants it to be just right he might be more of a perfectionist than you i i really appreciate like i really get into those conversations (laughs) that i have with them because we both just kind of dutch rudder each other (laughs) about that uh, that's yeah, what we she... need to have on the show we, i mean we know him in real life so yeah that's weird that hasn't happened yet that's cool um yeah i did liner notes for a release i can't say anything see i have something i can't talk about too <laughs> I, I can't talk about it but it, it's there um and so i was i was honored that he asked because of his perfectionism i'm like okay so he is not going to just ask anybody to do liner notes for a project so i felt I, you know i think that's cool um and I, I, I want to see more releases from him, but I fully understand that it's like the undertaking. I talked about before how I got scared off of doing a vinyl release for Duolingo Presents, and now I'm like like asking somebody else to release more records. But, um, <laughs> you know, and perhaps it could be a situation like some labels out there where it becomes quantity over quality and then it loses the whole raison d'etre. So maybe it's okay that he's doing one or two a year, but... Um, I just hope it's successful because the other label that he was involved with was releasing these amazing um, synthwave, early synthwave releases, but it, like the partner didn't seem to be into it as much and the label kind of went Fell away. Apart, yeah. I still, yeah, I still have the lip, Lipstick Crush releases. It was, I mean, it was really like nobody was releasing, um, it was just such high quality, you know, and it was like, it kind of was ahead of its time because now, you know, there are a bunch of labels not a bunch, but there are a handful putting out these amazing quality releases like you guys and also um, uh, Brian Diamond, uh, who has uh, Electric Dreams. Is that what it is? Electric Dream Records? Dream Records yeah. yeah. And who's done right by Makeup and Vanity Set and others. And 
Um, I just think that that's it's exciting time. I think for synthwave releases, but I do think it's like I I, I fully understand why you want to only do a few a year. I think Adam's gonna gear up to do more than that. I think because oh, when good. I talked to him, he had a bunch in in production. He had a oh, lot good. of money wrapped up in projects, and obviously ne- there's several that have been released now. Um, but I feel like he had he had more last time I talked to him. And I'm like, good for you, because and he also only does runs of like 500. So like, right? He's you know that's a lot of merch and a lot of money to be wrapped up in projects. The spacing but, is a good idea, so you can try and clear some of that inventory out before you receive <laughs> another influx of it. Too. Yes. And then, it, it, uh, well, going back on that, I'm not going to say it was a fault of anything of Lipstick Crush, but it was like here, it, here's a new label. Here's four releases all at once. Oh yeah, totally. It was, it's a learning curve. And I think that, um, you know, there's also something that's very interesting to me is this, there's an idea from the outside and somewhat within that the, the, the fervent fandom, the, of synthwave of the genre and the hashtag synth fam and all this translates to something economically. And it doesn't always translate. It's, it's, there's a lot of promotion, a lot of tweets, you know, and that kind of thing. And maybe some streams at 0.003 per play, but like, it's not as, it's not as plugged in as you would think. And maybe you guys are experiencing something different now, but for years, it always seemed like that the, the hype didn't match like what people were actually willing to spend on the music. Or I think there's show. definitely like, you have to know exactly where to market the, the project and know like, your run rates of what you could expect to to uh, sell before you do a project um because as you say it doesn't the hype of a thing doesn't necessitate sales and i think like new retrowave they're gonna be able to sell whatever because they have that brand recognition i i feel like five years ago one pressing plants weren't as backed up you didn't have to get such large runs you could do 100 200 right. things and back then like interest in synthwave and getting vinyl releases was enough to where almost if you put something out anything out it didn't matter what it was it would sell yep now things are a little different so things aren't selling like they used to or you yeah. gotta get more copies oh, yeah the man, saturation point i i mean i'm at that point where i'm forcing myself not to buy anything yeah so it's a little bit different now, a little bit harder now yeah. than it was. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like if you're not putting out the highest quality sounding record or something like that, that is a, a competitive disadvantage. And it actually ends up convincing fans that synthwave records don't sound as good or something. Yeah, you have it's to. really if just certain labels doing that. Absolutely. You really have to, yeah. you have to cater to a very specific audience now to get sales. And they're very, 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 very particular about quality and that kind of thing. And so that's your audience. It's small, very vocal, but that's the only way you're going to sell it necessarily. The Synthway Vinyl Collectors Group on Facebook. Oh, did you say that out loud? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, you know what it is. It's you see this in the soundtrack world too, like with Mondo and other things. The 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 fervent. Uh, the the high energy interest the the those with the most willingness to pull the trigger are also you know you you take advantage of that 
but you, they're also the ones who are first to criticize you publicly for something or mm. whatever. And that's fine. You know, that's what, you know, and that's that they're entitled to. So I'm not trashing that. Group yeah, at all. absolutely. Uh, but it, it, it is like, you know, that is a double edged sword. I imagine like if you were, people would be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to buy that Baldur Castle release right away. And then if like, you know, you had one little thing that they didn't like, they might say it, but then Shipping. that just kind of comes with the territory. Shipping's also the other difficult mm. thing about it as well. Cause yeah. I mean, if you're a fan in Australia, you're oh, fucked. Shit. Yeah, you're going to spend $35 for I or more. Se- yeah, I sent shipping. a CD to somebody in Australia, bought a Voingo Presents CD, and it was 35 bucks just to ship it. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's like, okay, so they spent 45 They even paid over. I think they paid over. So they spent 50 bucks on this CD. For a CD. And so it wasn't even going to the artist because of the shipping cost. But, you know, it's just... It's bizarre. That's why I'm glad that like EPR and such have local, like, or they have domestic United Mm -hmm. States distributors now, like someone who's buying a bunch of them and selling them, or you have Night City vinyl types or whatever, where you're actually able to access this stuff because for years I just avoided buying vinyl because it's like, I didn't want to pay to have stuff shipped, uh, buying vinyl from like, let's say EPR for one reason, it was because I didn't want to have to pay to ship it from Australia or Austria. Yeah. And, and like you yeah. would end up having to buy a bunch of stuff from them to justify the, the cost. Exactly. And I totally get it. And, but it's what prevented me from buying the first pressing of FM 84's Atlas, even though now I probably would have gotten that back 40 fold or whatever. <laughs> the first pressing is always like not 40 fold, but you know, the first pressing is people are trying to sell it for 500 bucks on Discogs. Yeah. Yeah, Which it, there's been a few repressings now, so yeah, I think it's in its yeah. fifth or sixth repressing, and they all sell yeah. out. And the last one, so they the the one that a six year old album, yeah, but that I is like it. the quintessential synthwave thing, and I think that's the album that gets people into the genre. Like I think that's a that is a a thing that introduces people to the wider. Well, it's so funny because I had the first interview with him in like April of 2015. And he had just come onto the scene and we were kind of like, what's this dude who has this very generic name, FM84, what's the deal with this guy? And then I was listening to his shit and I'm like, folks, this guy's awesome. And, you know, we had that interview and then like a year later, he hooks up with Ollie Ride and he's got Atlas and it's now, like you said, one of the quintessential synthwave albums. Um, it's, it's, such a, it's such a great story and it's so exciting that he can just repress and repress and just sell out on an album that's six years old that's like isn't that the dream you do a bunch of work up front and then you have the passive income (laughs) yeah i think the last run was a thousand and they're doing another pressing of a thousand yeah so i think they did their fifth pressing it sold out they did another pressing of another thousand so at this point there must be like three four thousand copies of that album out in the world that's wild i mean that's you know, not it's bigger artists don't even sell that many records yeah, or vinyl records. And it like and, consistently sells out. That's the amazing thing. Well, it's also one of the best produced and just overall best albums in Synthwave, just overall. Yeah. So I can totally see why the packaging is nice and too, but it's also just like it sounds great and it's written well and you know, whether you're listening to the, the instrumental tracks or the stuff that with Ollie it's, or with uh, 
Clive Farrington, it's like, it's just impeccable. And, and I could see why he would take six or more years to follow it up because it's like, how do you do that? Yeah, that'd be, I wouldn't want to be in his position of having that, like, this is the album. This is a genre defining. Mm -hmm. You put this up there, upper echelon thing. How, what do you, how do you even, cause I know it took him a long time to put together Atlas cause he wasn't in yeah. a rush. He was just, he was doing his thing and working at Apple doing his stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember when he flew out to New York for our um, synthwave meetups, we started them in 2014 and we had one in 2016. He showed up, Haley was there. Um, there was a uh, few other artists uh, who I'm, I'm, I think Protector 101 was there um, and some others. Anyway, it was, I remember he was, it was, I think Atlas had just come out or was almost going to come out. And it was, it, it just was so weird to think about now because it was just sort of like, oh, I'm putting an album out. Everybody's like, oh yeah, cool. That's what you do. <laughs> and, and then it came out and everybody's like, oh shit. Yeah. This is like a whole next level. You've put everybody on blast and that was a year we also got um, endless summer from the midnight. So I could, and I, I could understand why, why you would have newer synthwave fans kind of looking at 2016 as um, you know, like when the genre started, because a lot of, I'm missing a few albums, but there's a, you know, there are albums that came out that are sort of the classics of the genre and that came out in 2016, right? Wasn't it 2016 in the last summer? Yeah, that would make yeah, sense. Yeah, I think, isn't Awakening, yeah. or is it Awakening in 18, 2018? Robert Parker. Because mm. Wave Shaper was releasing, I know he released something then. I mean, they had stuff on Telefuture in a couple of years before that, even. If you ever go on the Telefuture Bandcamp, you know, they've actually removed Arcade High stuff, but there's, um, you know, 8888 came out in 2012 yep. on that label, and there you know, there's all sorts of, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, 2016 was huge. And so I, I fully get it, but like, I don't know, like I, I, I want another FM 84 album because I just think like he has such a positive attitude. And I think like when his stuff comes out, it has like a, an impact, like there's some kind of, it's a little woo woo, but I think when his stuff comes out, it sort of resets the scene a little bit mm -hmm. and calms everything down for a while. Yeah, it'll be interesting when that when that comes out. And I think to a certain extent, I think people are expecting that with Miami Nights 1984 record when that came out, like that sort of like highly anticipated, like here it is. And I don't think it did what you're no. saying. Um, so I'm really curious because people have a big appetite for the next FM84 record. Yeah, so. I'm such a pessimist, like going back to what you said, like how do you follow that up? I just, you know, flashbacks. I'm thinking about Justice with Cross. Yeah. It's oh, like, right. Here's a legendary album. How do you follow it up? Well, you don't. <laughs> uh... <laughs> well, you know, there's people who would say Kavinsky never followed up Outrun. I like the new album, but um, it's definitely a different sound. Speaking of justice, it's mostly Gaspard. Um, it's mostly a Gaspard production. On the new Kavinsky? Yeah, it's yeah. him. That, okay, it. that tracks because from what you know, I've heard from people, I haven't listened to it either that it's you know definitely a little something different a little something more funky it's um it's definitely more like traditional french house i mean he's kavinsky helped create synthwave even though he's never been like a full-on synthwave artist it's been like 
basically French house, but uh, yeah, it's a little different. Um, there's definitely some of the retro elements and especially the stuff that Sebastian still produced. Um, but like the other stuff, a lot of it is, is all Gaspard. He's done at least four of the tracks. And then some of the other producers, they all sort of are tapping into a more modern French sound. And there's like Sebastian Tellier on it and stuff like that. It's a, it's a little bit different vibe, but you know, there's a couple cuts that have the sound we know and love, but it's definitely, I don't think the Kavinsky album, which actually came out this year, believe it or not. I don't think that one, I think that was a thud in in the Synthwave scene. There were a few complaining, there were people complaining on the posts and stuff like that, but like, you know, it, and Miami Nights album didn't have the earth shattering effect that you think it did. So maybe an FM eighty four album wouldn't. Maybe I'm being over. Isn't that optimistic. isn't that deeply ironic? I'm sorry. Now that you've put those two things together, you've got Kavinsky, who's sort of the proto synthwave godfather, yeah. released an album. Oh, it's not synthwave enough. I don't like it. Well, I mean, Outrun yeah. wasn't really the synthwave per se. No, no, and then sorry. you've got Miami Nights in nineteen eighty four. It's like, oh, it's too synthwave. It's too it's yeah, just same too, so what the fuck is what is the right album then? What's nobody the right... nobody likes anything anymore right <laughs> you know what i think you hit it on the head nobody likes anything and i was gonna you know also going back to what we were talking about earlier with you know artists exploring different avenues of sound and stuff like that it's like there's always going to be people out there who are just like i don't like change at all i don't this you know this right. isn't for me i don't like it yeah, this doesn't. This isn't what I thought it would be. This isn't, you know, but but the, but then again, they don't like change. But then if you don't change, then you suck <laughs> then because yeah. you didn't change. You're doing the yeah. same thing over again. <laughs> and you know, Kavinsky doesn't help himself, you know, by no. being sort of hard to deal with French. online. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's French. I mean, that's kind of yeah. Well, yeah. Ask any French yeah. person; they'll they'll all say the same thing. Well, the French synth waivers don't like him either. They say he's an asshole. So, like, you know, wow, must be must be doing something. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly just you know, it's it's really an attitude thing where he's like, you know, it's there's a bunch of synthwave artists who don't like being called synthwave, but they're not like assholes about it. They're just more like, yeah, I get why the scene likes us, but we consider ourselves more this genre. And, you know, he's more like fuck synthwave and stuff on Twitter. So that's obviously he could have released the best album on the planet and people would have hated it because he just prefaced it with being just kind of an asshole. Mm -hmm. So and, you know, it's a good it's kind of a fun look, but I I guess Um, Uh, any PR is good PR. Yeah, I guess. I'm sure he's laughing all the way to the bank. Oh, of course. And he's probably like a super nice guy in real life or whatever. But like he definitely does. I think he does give French flavors a bad name. And I can see why that might be like, eh. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're similar. I mean, there's another, you know, like uh, Carpenter Brute's pretty standoffish. And Perturbator is very much divorcing himself from any association with Synthwave, Darkwave, right. whatever. Like True. he's just like, no, I don't. Uh uh-uh. uh. So I had him sign my Dangerous Days record. I, I ooh, I love oh, that. I love that moment when you had him sign your shit and like his newest album. He went out of his way to go. This is the best. This one right here. This is the best album. This is the good one. Like this album's good. My previous ones are no good. It, it almost seemed like he yeah. was saying. Yeah. It, that was a weird story behind Dangerous Days too. That involves Telefuture and then the label that Perturbator ended up on. 
that I will tell you about offline. I'm just yeah, I'm, to, I'm very curious about that. Yeah, I'll bring it up online here because uh, uh, because um, I, I want to create a sense of intrigue for the listener. But uh, <laughs> Roboman, <laughs> Roboman, yeah. I love that. And then I want I want to I want to perpetuate the idea that I'm an elitist. So I'm going to bring up some inside thing, and then we'll talk about it afterward. So. Well, so with that, so I want to be respectful of time because we're, we're like an hour yeah, and a half in recording. Kyle, do you have yeah. anything else you want to, to talk about while we've got Aaron here? Yeah, after we stop recording. Oh, okay. <laughs> Aaron, do you have anything else that you want to promote, talk about before we I, I just, sign up? Yeah, I just want to say just, uh, you know, uh, support Mecca Maiko. She's a great artist and um, also a good human. And I think she needs more recognition and support. So go for it. I a thousand not, not percent okay. agree. One thousand yep. percent agree. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say. Okay. <laughs> well, until next time, this is Eric. Paradise I can't Oh yeah Paradise I can't